Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 236. Alright, so the first topic I want to talk about today, lead forming. Like bending wires? Yes, on components. Which is something that I think engineers don't really think about too often now, since most products have gone uh, surface mount for majority of components. Um, lead forming was really a big thing when you had like you know resistors and you had to lead, form the leads at a ninety degree so they fit in the holes correctly. Or even more complex things where you had like power resistors that have to sit a certain height off the board and things like that. Or offset legs for like TO two twenty packages stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the interesting one is um, I've I've ordered like lead forming tools online stuff like that for like specific like common offsets you know but uh we had a customer come to us that had a really weird use case for lead forming and it was on a potentiometer so like a normal through hole potentiometer like a like a board mount potentiometer yeah board mount potentiometer that's got you know solder lugs yeah kind of like a a a borns series yeah 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 that's got the plastic body it's not like the the panel mount round ones yeah 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 uh-huh um and but so they were using the solder lugs but then the the pins that go that's supposed to go into the board they wanted those bent 90 out and then put on smt pads and hand soldered why i don't know exactly why um i haven't talked to their engineer yet for for why it's designed that way i mean they're already having pins go through holes in a board yes it already has the, the style of potentiometer on it that yeah. go th- that have the hole set up that way. Only thing I can think of is they have some component on maybe the back side of the board that you can't have through holes there. Sure. Or something with the enclosure or like there's a battery there. I have no idea. Um, I, I want to know more about why it's designed this way. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was tasked to find or design a lead former for this. Really? Yeah. Okay. And... Um, and so that that was today actually. This morning I was told I need to find a lead former for this. So I spent I went to the normal resources to find like Hako and um, what's the other one? Uh, Excel, Excelite or whatever. Excelite, I think is what it is. Yeah, there's a we have a lead former that I uh, I purchased at uh, at work. No, it's Excelta. Excelta. El- yeah, E X C E L T A. Oh, okay. They make but, a lot of hand lead forming tools. Yeah. So so the, the lead former we have at work is a pneumatic one that has a little foot pedal. You stick components in. We, we use it mainly. Uh, we have a die that is a particular thickness, and we use ours mainly for trimming lead for our selective solder machine, such that everything yeah. is the particular length. But we have looked into getting... Um, lead forming for some other applications we, we have a customer that has some certain leds that need a particular height off the board and we do spacers uh, on every single led and we were thinking if we could just bend each one then we could eliminate the spacers and maybe we could have like a positive retention like click where the leds go in and kind of like grab into the legs or kind the, of like a holes. snap in yeah, something like that. And maybe if we're doing something custom, maybe on the uh, on the anode, we do one type of lead form, and on the cathode, we do a different one so you could tell, you know? Yeah. 
but but I I would not even know where to start with lead forming potentiometer legs, and and like it, for something this I I don't want to be mean to the whoever that customer is, but like something this ridiculous in a sense. Maybe maybe it's not ridiculous. We don't know all. About yeah, I don't know. It. We don't, I don't know. know. Maybe maybe it's a really brilliant thing, but like the the quantity better suit you going and doing all this research for it. <laughs> well, they're, they're a production customer. Sure, sure, sure. It so might. yes, it, the the answer to that question is yes. Yeah, I do want to know why it, 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 the designs that way because all I've seen is is the assembly diagram, and I'm like, okay, so I know how far I need to bend the leads, that kind of stuff, yeah. and so. Um, but the, the the normal people who make these kind of tools, they can custom make you a tool, but it takes like eight weeks, and it's a lot of money to do it. Mm-hmm. And yep. and so I've 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 built and and printed lead formers before, um, that do this for like TO two twenty packages stuff like that that have like weird offsets that we've had customers have, or like they need one that's like offset of the off the board a bit and it has a custom offset for a heat sink that kind of stuff. so i was thinking about trying to apply that kind of mentality to the potentiometers um but what i want to talk about is the uh like what should we look what should an engineer look out for when like lead forming because it does cause i mean you're bending metal so it causes stress on the the component lead and um I was thinking mainly because I was looking at how other lead formers do this. It looked like they try to support, like you don't want to bend right at the package. No, no, absolutely not. Um, so it looks like a lot of them they they kind of support the package and then like a part. I don't know what you would call it, but part of the leg that's near the package they support that, and then you try to create a break, like a sheet metal break, mm-hmm. to bend the leads right. Um, I guess that's the best way to do it. So are you trying to design like a hand tool or are you or, or is this like a enough quantity that you're going to try to make some kind of automated tool for it? It's going to be a hand tool. There's okay. it's you know the the it's a couple thousand units. Okay. Um so yeah, it wouldn't be um a uh automatic machine but um definitely trying to sit there by hand with a pair of needle nose tweezers uh, uh tweezers um or pliers to bend three of these pins on each one accurately doesn't sound fun. No, no. Well, and and here's another question: um, those particular pots, if I'm if I'm thinking of the right ones, they they have three pot pins, and then they have the two mechanical pins on the on the left and right side of the pot. Yeah, solder but, the, but those pins are not straight. They have uh, they have a crooked angles to yeah they're snap in to snap in yeah so does the customer want those parts to be flat or do they just want the legs to be bent upwards just it, the legs so the, the the board has the solder lugs there okay and so yeah that's that's even more confusing because like the solder lugs are there why aren't the why isn't the the pins why are they surface but there's got to be a reason why and maybe next week i'll have that answer if the customer will tell me. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that's the part that's just, like, racking my brain. Why why is it worth going through all of this trouble as opposed to going to the customer and being like, can you put holes in the board? Well, and it's clear that this... I mean, this, the answer is no, right? The answer ha- will be no. Yeah. Um, because they have that on 
they have this footprint already designed that's the through hole for all through hole because they use it everywhere right right and this is the only one that's like this it's very interesting so wait do they have multiple pots on the board yes and they are all through hole okay there's so there's one that's unique yes one that's unique ah, and it's this okay. one and they it's the same part number too as the other ones but they need to they need to have they have service mount pads there do they have like a, a multi-board stack up where maybe the pins interfere with something that's underneath see that's what i'm thinking because it is a multi-board stack up yeah okay, and but i haven't looked at the other diagrams yet and but it I, I, clearly it doesn't interfere with the solder log portion of the pot but it would just interfere the mounting with legs the mounting uh not the mounting the uh signal lines right for the pot well yeah the, yeah 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 okay so, so the, uh, one of the things that I can think of that you're in luck with is the fact that the body of that potentiometer is square. So you yeah. can make like an anvil that, it, that you can support the uh, pot on both sides. So even if it is like a mechanical thing, y y it's at least easy enough to make it such that you can make a square cutout in something that the pot fits into. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is that you, you basically you'd have a little fixture that holds the pot correctly. Yeah. And then a uh a part on the on the fixture that slides and so and that has a little thumb on a uh, thumb holder so you could slide that down and that is the the die basically pushing the leads in the right spot yeah but they want a nice clean 90 on those leads right yes yeah hmm. you know another good thing about that too uh the fact that it ha the, the pots have the three signal legs hanging off of one side you it you really can't put it in the jig backwards. Backwards. Well, if yeah. you did, it'd screw everything up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's the other thing is that the uh, the if you're building a fixture like this, the component has to only fit one way. Right. Right. Because that would be really bad if you send someone off to, you know, bend a thousand of these and it will bend wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you get the case you can't bend them back without actually fatiguing that metal. Then. Oh, for sure. You get you get one shot on this. Yeah. Uh, so are they wanting them to be bent 90 degrees outward or inward? Outwards. Okay, so they extend outside the body of the pot. Yeah, outside the body, Got which it. also makes it easier. Sure, sure. Because yeah. I was thinking you could have, okay, you slide it into this jig, and there's, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm using the word anvil. It's probably wrong. Like press plates that are that fit into it, and then those spread outward, like the reverse of a... Uh, um, pliers basically and and just bend it over you know i know i'm using the word just a lot there yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what's coming to mind because there's there's sort of not a good solution to it yeah there isn't a like the handheld for, for uh lead formers just don't work because the the body of the potentiometer and the knob like you just can't maneuver a tool in there so yeah, it's gonna to have to be something that this thing goes into and holds it, and then a anvil, not an anvil, a, a die moves mm -hmm. in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna guess in, I don't know the answer to this, in lead form or in tooling, I wanna guess the anvil is the part that can hold something, right? The anvil is what's pressed against, right? And then the punch, I don't know. I'm 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 not talking right now. So <laughs> forget it. I, but I am pretty <laughs> no, sure that's what I'm thinking too. Is the anvil? I'm is, pretty sure that the anvil is what is pressed against. Yeah. So it, in this case, it, the anvil would be the thing that holds the potentiometer and the and the leads. 
from from bending, and then the die moves, does the bending. Does the bending? Yeah, against the anvil. <laughs> A bunch Some of electrical engineers trying to pretend like we're mechanical. Engineers. Yeah, I know. Actually, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I recently uh, purchased an anvil and a punch the other day f just for um, we're doing some press fit um, M3 studs or, or uh, sorry, threads. We, I found some uh, I found some M3 threads that just press into aluminum really well and they just they're captive. Uh, and so I ended up buying that. And the anvil is the part that is static effectively. And okay. the punch is the part that pushes Okay. Yeah. So we're probably pretty close. I think so. Okay. That's that's really interesting. I, I would love to see it. You know, th there is one other option that's come to, that comes to mind. If you look at the bottom of those potentiometers, the plate that actually holds the well, the plate that actually is the uh, what's it called? Uh, mechanical legs. It's 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 like a a, a plate that's that's pressed in and riveted in or, or somehow like connected in you could potentially just contact the, the pot manufacturer and say hey can you make this with straight legs as opposed to uh bent legs because they actually have to bend those legs down you well, can just no, tell them i don't want them bent well they have to be bent in that case then we have to bend them twice because they have to be bent down and then back out because they have to go down to the board and then out those legs aren't at pcb level Oh, okay, okay. So you don't, yeah, you, okay. I get what you're going at. Well, that being said, you could contact the manufacturer and just have them do the, the bend the, the plate second perfectly, operation. and then you don't have to do any of this this jazz. And uh. that's probably much better. And if you're talking about, you said a few thousand, you know, even two thousand, I guarantee you somebody would do it for that much. I'm going to say the fact that I have samples in my hand from the customer. They probably already bought all of them. But oh, that'd be good for the future. they're consigning the parts? Yes. Uh, okay, well. So I'm going to guess that in the future we could look at that. But um, in this op for this run, no. Well, okay, keep this in mind. And this is for anyone who's interested. There's a... There's a company in Taiwan called Top Up Industries. And when it comes to Jack's... Uh, phone connectors, uh, potentiometers, slide pots, that kind of stuff. Top Up Industries will work with you and get you anything you want. They're awesome. So anything I want, anything you want. If you have a wacko thing where you're like, "Hey, I want, I want a a through hole pot to not be through hole," they'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Top Up, if you want to sponsor the Mac Five Engineering Podcast, give me a call. <laughs> we we got light pipes made from them. They and they're fantastic, you know. And oh. they're not a light pipe company. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but they can do it. Interesting. Yeah. Alright, so last week you were talking about your CNC upgrades. Oh and yeah. You were talking about well, linear rails. Yeah, so so okay, it's it's kind of funny because I, I ordered I ordered some linear rail last week, or actually the week before, and I ordered a ball screw, and that ball screw was uh, supposed to arrive last week on podcast day, because I was going to play with it on podcast day. It actually still has not arrived. 
Uh, <laughs> and, and it's funny because it's shipped from a place in Texas, so it's two states away from me right now. But my linear rail shipped from China, and it's here. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that, like, you can get something all the way across the world, and sometimes USPS is, has trouble. <laughs> you know, you no, know, you know, I, I actually have a story about that. What happened today with me is um, for my for home brewing, I ordered 50 pounds of lye to clean the brewery. God, 50 pounds? 50 pounds. That's a five-gallon bucket. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of lye, dude. And so, but for... It's it's it lies so uh, sodium hydroxide, and that's a it's deemed a hazardous material because it's very caustic. Because it is, and yeah, because because it, it, it's how it is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to sign for it when it arrives, and I, I guess that's so that a reasonable adult gets it and doesn't get stuck on your porch where someone else can get it. I don't know. Anyways, I had to sign for it, but. It was supposed to arrive at my house last Thursday. It didn't show up, and I got a notification saying, hey, we missed you. No one was there to answer, whatever. That happened four times. Hmm. And then I finally called them up, and they're like, you didn't, like, what did the door tag say? I'm like, y'all were giving me door tags? They didn't give, they, they, the delivery driver was trying to deliver this somewhere else. And get someone else to sign for it for four days. <laughs> and, so, and I actually had to go to, because they couldn't drop it off at my local FedEx store. Yeah. Or if people remember, there used to be Kinko's. I think FedEx bought Kinko's and they turned them all to FedEx stores. Anyways, um, it couldn't be there because it was hazardous material. So I had to go to the actual like FedEx depot, ground depot. Oh, wow. And like go through a security checkpoint. And get like my temperature read and like <laughs> answer all the questions that you don't have COVID, all this right. stuff, and then finally get my you know fifty gallon buck or uh, fifty, uh, 50 pound five gallon bucket of, of lye, and then <laughs> trucked it back that, to my, my. That's like that doesn't make you look suspicious at all. No, especially <laughs> when you walk in wearing a hat, sunglasses, and a mask, and yeah. you're like, I need my sodium hydroxide. I need my hazardous chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it's it's like they tried delivering this to someone who probably had no idea what sodium hydroxide, let alone fifty pounds of it, was for. Yeah, these are these are weird times. People are ordering all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but um, yeah, back to your your. Well, you know, and and we've talked about this before, but it, it always, uh, like it brings. I'm always so happy when I see this, where where you get that that lovely Shenzhen stinky box where it is oh, made the, primarily of yellow tape and like it's it's the worst cardboard in the world oh it's 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 not but it's like 20% cardboard and 80% tape you yeah, know yeah. it's it is totally one of those and it's it's always interesting is to in for them that has to be the most economical way to ship something because Everything you get from that area is like that. It's the crappiest cardboard. Oh yeah, covered in tons of tape, and you, the tape is there to make sure it actually lives through it shipping, makes right? It. <laughs> yeah, it makes it. No, this, then, this isn't even a box. These are like random scraps of cardboard that they made into a box. Oh no. Yeah. In fact, like the hardest part was I got the box and I was like, how do I open this? I mean, of course I can cut it, but like, where's the place to cut? And then I realized I just had to like hack it apart and there is no seam because it's There's just no so seam. much tape. <laughs> but, but, but then on the other spectrum, you have Amazon 
oh, who, yeah. like, barely puts enough tape to close the damn box, right? <laughs> and the cardboard is actually really nice cardboard for their boxes. So it's like, that's Amazon's most cost-effective way. Yeah, it's but Am- two and with Amazon, you, you get like you get a thing that's the size of your thumb, and they send you a box that's the, that's the size of your torso, and it's got <laughs> and it's got those big old puffy packers in there. And stuff, yeah, so. but it's like one of those big puffy air packs. Yeah, in there. Yeah. so it's just like rattling around. But no, but it, it just amazes me that it's it's two completely different thoughts of like what is economical. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, because the Amazon boxes. Everyone's got Amazon boxes just kicking around that you reuse for everything. No one reuses those tape boxes because you can't. Yeah. This is one-time box. It's barely a one-time use. <laughs> well, okay, so so I order linear rail and and it shows up in this magical wonderful box that smells awesome. And uh it's it smells like a tire factory. <laughs> So linear rail is is intended to be like a precision thing, right? It's it's meant to be to hold tight tolerances and and scoot along smoothly, right? Well, first of all, the box shows up. I'm holding it up for Parker to see, but there is no anything inside this box other than the linear rails and the trucks that go on it. Like, there's no like packing foam or anything like that. They just threw linear rails in a box and put and put the trucks in there too. So this was beaten <laughs> to hell as it came from China. And and the whole purpose of this was less about like me actually wanting to use this. It's more about I wanted to see what is like bottom of the barrel linear rail. Like what do you, what do you get when you when you search for something that says linear rail and the only specification you get is like the width of the rail and the length of the rail. Like you don't get anything more than that. It doesn't tell you the accuracy of the rail or anything like that. And it doesn't have a uh a brand name like if you, if you search enough you you'll find i don't even know how to pronounce it i think it's highwin or h-i-w-i-n hiwin or i don't know whatever the, that seems to be like the lower grade brand name where like you you actually have a, a name to you know, behind it and uh the so this of, this one the boxes for all the little blocks they just say linear guideway they have the same part number as as high win but yeah i and all the same dimensions but that's about all you get so first of all these uh these linear rails are not polished you can see the mill finish on them so clearly they just took you know they they just took a, a a bit across this and just flattened it but then didn't do any polishing whatsoever and there's some what almost looks like corrosion, maybe rust on it. So it's, it's not uh, Cosmoline. <laughs> yeah, right. They did, it would stink a whole hell of a lot worse if it if it was. Well, because I get I, I've seen surfaces that it will look like rust, and it comes off with with you know some brake clean. This I don't know. This doesn't look like rust, but they're greasy. So they have they have machine oil on them, and uh, the edges are. Only in China would machine oil cause something to rust. Yeah, for sure. So, the, so the edges are discolored and very uneven. It's it's clear that somebody took them to town with a with a bench grinder or or like a like a sanding wheel, uh, and just by went, hand, just by hand. Oh yeah, because like I don't know, maybe Parker can see this, but the but the edge is is like heavily 
Oh yeah, heavily poking over. It's like it, it's like they didn't cut through it all the way when they chopped it off. Right, and then tried to fix it with a sander. So the the biggest thing was I took one of these little linear trucks that goes on it, and I put that on one of these rails. And it sounds like there's sand in the bearings. Like, oh, it sand. sounds awful. In fact, I've got it on a rail right here. Let's see if I can make enough noise so people can hear this lovely linear rail. I can hear it. So, it it sounds a little bit like metal on metal. But but in reality, like, if you're standing right here, it sounds like sand in, in the bearings. And, like, as I move it across, like, I could feel the truck jiggle across the rails. Like, it, 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 it flows and everything, but, I mean, a linear truck should not stick if I hold the rail vertically, and it totally does. Like, I could get the, the truck to stand on a linear rail, and I think... I'm holding the rail vertical right now, and the truck is just stuck in place. I, th I would think that a good linear rail would slide if, <laughs> if it's held vertically. So all this to be said, like, this was kind of an experiment in having fun with it, and it's like, these are kind of garbage. And it's pretty obvious that these are kind of garbage. So pe pe People build 3D printers with that kind of stuff. Well, and, and, and okay, so that's that's the part that I want to I wanted to actually test with all of this was the the concept of or the idea that you can go to Amazon type in the word linear rail and get something good uh you can but keep an eye out the guys who are good and actually selling good stuff will show the specifications on their page and they will have a name tied to it and you will get what you expect from it but if it just says like linear guide rail that is you know, you get to choose the size. I think this is a 15 millimeter and and the length is 300 millimeter. Yeah, sure, you're going to get something like that, but you're also going to get sand in your bearings. So, <laughs> like, be really careful if you are watching, uh, getting this stuff. Now, here's the thing. Like, if I was building a 3D printer and I wasn't super, like, anal about accuracy, I, I would think you could use these uh, for a home gamer thing. But... Like, if I want to have a CNC that has any kind of accuracy, I wouldn't use these at all. I wonder if you could clean that, that bearing out. Maybe. I mean, I haven't really played too much with these. Uh, I just got them out of the box, put it on the rail, and was like, ooh, I need to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and the thing is, like, this particular 300 millimeters would be the Z-axis on, on a CNC. Mm -hmm. uh, and... You know, the Z-axis is more about just, like, holding against gravity rather than, like, you know, the, the X and Y Traversing. matter a whole hell of a lot more. So maybe I could use these on my Z, but uh, I don't know. I might also just buy better ones yeah. for that and, and buy name brand. And the funny thing was, like, name brand that has, like, its accuracy specs actually written out. And I'm not even talking about from Amazon. I'm talking about from any buyer. Um, they're not that much more than what I spent on these. Uh, so I, I, w I was kind of thinking, like, I want to do something with these rails, something fun. I want to do something that, like, I can actually control something, but it doesn't actually need to be super accurate. Uh, Automatic keyboard tray. 
<laughs> that slides towards me. You know, actually, I'm I'm realizing something else that that is I I just put two and two together with this. The the holes on a on linear rails that have specifications they define the edge of the linear rail to the first hole and then they define the spacing between holes this one clearly does not because if you hold them up next to each other like the holes are super super just drilled wherever you know someone totally just like drilled those with a drill press oh for sure yeah guaranteed actually like i don't know uh yeah, the, these. So, so that's the big thing. I want to use my CNC at work to help design my XY carriage uh, that would hold these things, and I would use that to punch holes that are very specific. Well, I would need these rails to line up with that. So, I don't know. These are garbage. Uh, so, I, maybe I just need to come up with a reason or something cool to use for these rails. Could be a like a fancy drawer or something. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I like something that an Arduino. Oh, you know what? The thing is, eventually, hopefully, I will get that ball screw that also is the same length as this. So something that is three hundred millimeters uh, worth of travel that doesn't need to be super accurate, but is stable because these are you know these will hold something stable. Yeah, I hope. <laughs> you hope, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's up with the cat feeder on reminder? Okay, so last week we talked about all the parts, right? That I, I picked. Yeah. So if um, you go back to last week's episode, you can see all the, the components that I picked. Um, and so what I spent the weekend doing was researching choosing solar panels. That's another big key of this project is you know, how do you pick a solar panel? Because if you go to DigiKey or Mauser and type in solar panel, there's like a thousand plus parts, right? So how do you pick the right one? And I, I first started searching like how to choose solar panel for energy harvesting, how to choose solar panel for embedded system. There is nothing out there that's like, these are the steps. At least I couldn't find them. Really? At least within the first like that's 10 surprising. pages of Google. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's like what specific it's, this is like goes back to our our part picker idea which we haven't done so so you want to so you want a solar panel so you want a solar panel um so well i found out these are the specifications that are important at least for doing a energy harvesting um project is the first thing you need to know is the max power watt output of your solar panel okay so that's going to be its peak power it's going to be able to put out if like if everything is perfect in the world right? if it's one meter from the sun it'll yeah put one that meter out. from the sun and it can't melt it's super chilled down so it has best thermal efficiency all that good stuff yeah okay then the next thing you need to know is the current at peak power because then you'll know how much actual um current you'll have and then you need the that next big thing is the voltage at maximum power point which means this is not the max uh voltage that it can output but the max at peak power and that peak power is because how the the relationship on a solar panel between uh its voltage and current 
and its power is it's kind of funky, okay? Because they're they're because um, they're diodes and or they're they're LEDs, light emitting diodes in reverse, right? So they're a diode effect, and so they act like current sources throughout their usable band of power, um, and so the trick is to keep the uh, voltage or the power of your solar panel in that peak power area. And you do that by making sure that your load that you're pulling on the panel keeps that power in spec. In spec. <laughs> your transmission has to keep uh, the gearing in the power band, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. It's basically the same um, thing. Um, and then the, also the other thing is you also need to know what actually is the peak voltage, that, which you would call that the, uh, it's called open circuit voltage. And so basically if the if the solar panel is unconnected and you have a high impedance load on it, like a multimeter, for example, what is the peak voltage? Well, uh, do you, do you, is that something you get to pick? I, I, it's been a long time since I've looked at it. Uh, you get, I mean, you, you pick it by picking the right solar panel. And, and like, just in, in terms of panels that you're looking at, what, what kind of voltage ranges would you see open circuit? Like 1.8 to 2.2 volts. Okay. So usually you'd use two in my application. Yeah. Uh, in series. So um, what does all these, what does all these numbers mean, right? Um, so in the case, uh, it depends on your solar panel chip and you really, really need um, a integrated circuit that is uh, what's a that's able to do uh, what's called VP uh, VMPP, which is basically keeping the maximum power point in check uh, for your solar panel. Is it just like a dynamic load or something like that? Yeah, it, that, that's what it is. It's basically doing a dynamic load and then it's using a, a DC DC buck or boost converter to regulate the output of it. Um, and so it's it's basically doing a dynamic load on that solar panel to make sure that it's staying at the most efficient way, efficient um, conversion, not conversion is not the right word, but the most efficient power draw off the panel it can, it can perform. So I'm using the AEM1Q941 solar panel chip. And so the, the big thing with this is the max voltage that it can accept is five volts. So you're open, uh, your your voltage at open um, circuits for your panel can't exceed five volts, right? Uh, basically, because at that point is you got to think of the situation where okay, your your source is all is all charged up, right? So you don't have anywhere to put power, and so now your buck booster is not doing anything, and the voltage will climb through the roof on your your front end and so you want to make sure your your voltage open circuit doesn't exceed five volts with this chip okay which the solar panels i'm looking at usually look at you know the top ends like 2.2 volts per cell and you put them in series so you got 4.4 you're good there now the next thing is you need to set is your uh, maximum power point ratio so what that is is your, you have your voltage at open circuit, and then your voltage at max power is beneath that by a certain percentage. And so you need to look at what solar panel you're picking, calculate that percentage ratio, 
and then you set that with this chip with some resistors and some pull downs and stuff and you set that ratio so now you have that the chip knows okay um from open circuit if i if i try to maintain the voltage at x value off the cell i know i'm at peak power and so how it figures that out though is every this chip it, the other chips probably do it differently but what this chip does is every five seconds it actually disconnects everything from the uh, cell and puts a high impedance on it and basically measures what the open circuit would be oh that's cool and then it goes okay then takes the ratio of that and then pulls a load on the cell to drop it to whatever that voltage would be at for the uh, uh, maximum power point. Um, there's probably other things with solar panels that I didn't cover that is also super important, but <laughs> this is what I could figure out on my own by just reading like the, the IC data sheet and solar panel data sheets for what I'm using, because really there's not a lot of good articles out there about this. This, this data sheet for this part is super colorful. Yes, it is. It's like, like everything that it colors. thinks that you need to know is like highlighted color. in bold colors. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because sometimes you get those data sheets that are like been photocopied 80 times since like 1964. <laughs> and then you have this one. Yeah. This is, this is a modern data sheet for sure. Yeah. But, um, it's gonna be interesting. It's a modern data sheet because like they're they have like oscilloscope screenshots and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not hand drawn. Yeah. Or like Excel charts or something like that. Yeah. But um I think that's everything I need to know to get this rolling. If a solar panel expert is out there, come on the podcast. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. Tell us where we're talk going about energy harvesting there. and stuff like that. What the, where did you end up finding this chip? That chip? I googled energy harvesting IC and kept going through the links until I found a chip that looked cool. And I never heard of that company before. It's like, what's the company's EPs? name? EPs? Yeah, EPs or something like that. I'm so. sure that's probably Peace. But, um,. Yeah, I picked it because I'm like, I've never seen this chip before, and it looks interesting. And it has, it has built-in, uh, you know, maximum power point tracking. It has um, LDOs built into it, and it handles charging or whatever your storage media is. So you can use super caps, you can use lithium, you can use pretty much anything on the uh, storage side. You know, an, uh, a nice thing I'm looking at right now on the data sheet, you can actually use two supercapacitors or multiple supercapacitors in series and it has a balance control so yes so it will make sure that they're equally charged which that's super nice because a lot of times you find supercapacitors in in the uh, size you want but they're like oh this is 1.8 volts and <laughs> you need yeah. a little bit more you know yeah that's cool yeah it's a really interesting chip i'm hoping that uh, it works out it looks very easy to use. Doesn't have a lot of weird external components that you need. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll package it in one. That's cool. So, hopefully next week I have a board designed up. Unless I find something seriously flawed with my solar panel thinking, which could happen. Well, and and you said you've found 
a bunch of solar panels. Have you picked a particular one? No, I haven't picked one yet. Okay. I was just reading, like, the family data sheets for, like, the Panasonic, what, BGS series, I think is what, what was the Battlestar Galactica series of uh, solar panels um, from Panasonic. And uh, I was just reading, like, what specs do they provide? And then I was like, okay, those are what you get from the solar panel. Which ones are important or why do they give you these specs? It's how I was looking at it. And then I looked at the IC chip, IC, and like, okay, what specs do they care about? And then, yeah. But yeah, the big thing is like making sure you get enough power, figuring out how much lum luminosity your environment has so that you like make sure what your solar panel can provide enough wattage that you need. Um, Are you going to get a buy a meter and figure all that out? No, I'm just using like what is the average indoor luminosity for a home? Just sure. using the average and stuff. Yeah. There's no reason to actually measure that. Oh, come on. You got to figure out your environment, man. Yeah. Design that in. <laughs> cat feeders got to work anywhere, except at night. So the super caps. Yeah, that's what the super caps are there for. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. Cool. But yeah, so if you are a a solar panel designer or use solar panels in your designs, you should definitely hit us up and come on the podcast and and teach us some more about these because it's definitely it's really weird because usually engineers think of power sources as like you get 3.3 volts at this much current and you don't really have to worry about it other than that and it's like no solar panels are weird <laughs> that hence the whole you got to have integrated boost and butt converters and like big storage media and things like that yeah Cool. So uh, recently I've been working a bit uh, at work, but also at home on... I'm hoping you're working at work. I would you know, your boss say. Hey, hey, he listens <laughs> on occasion. Yes, I work a lot. <laughs> no, uh, And I deserve a raise. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Uh, so I've been working on, on redesigning our voltage references. So we have some stock voltage references that we use in our designs... And, and I've actually been needing them on some things that I've been doing at, at home. In fact, uh, Parker may remember this board. I'm holding it up to the, the camera Ooh, right now. Oh, yes! It's called the 16 in, 16 out. Uh, it's yep. one of the first boards I made at Macrofab. And it was it's basically it's two Maxim chips. One is a 16-bit DAC and one is a 16-bit um, ADC. And surprisingly, so I only have one. But surprisingly, like, I have used this thing so many times. It's a really nice little dev board that has um, headers on it that I can just plug into my breadboards. And it's it's basically yeah, a 16-bit deck and a 16-bit ADC. That's it. So it's just really nice to be able to prove ideas that I have where I don't want to design an entire board for. And uh, I can just plug an Arduino into this and control and read voltages with it. But... Uh, Anyone who's even spent a few seconds with a ADC or a or a DAC, um, you know, you need to have a voltage reference with it. And and a lot of the circuits that we deal with at work rely really heavily on stable voltage references, stable and accurate voltage references. Uh, and you'd be surprised, even a lot of the analog stuff that we do. In fact, virtually every analog potentiometer, if it's not uh, acting as an attenuator in some way we have it referenced to either a positive or a negative or both positive and negative voltage references because we want every unit 
you know, unit to unit in a batch to respond the same way across the entire uh, sweep of a potentiometer. And and we don't want it such that if you turn the unit maximum on this unit, it uh, it it responds in a completely different way to another unit. So having good voltage references is kind of critical. And and a lot of the, if you look at a lot of hobby projects, you'll see like ADCs and DACs that are referenced to the 3.3 volt rail, and that totally does work. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but typically your bulk power supply is not is both not stable and it's not accurate. So if you're if you're really wanting to actually measure specific voltages or you want something to be uh, consistent across units, you really gotta look for a voltage reference. And uh, so I've been designing or redesigning our voltage reference, our kind of like stock circuits that we have at work to be a little bit better because we've noticed that over temperature, the ones that we have are not fantastic. And we have some op amps in our circuits that have enough offset to be noticeable because um, it, it's funny because in the whole like legacy of our designs at work we've had a good chunk of products that work fine in the analog domain and have worked fine but we're, we're really starting to push the boundaries on a lot of analog stuff to the point that the offsets in in op amps are becoming apparent where we're needing to get sub offset voltages and things like that so we're having to pick a lot better op amps having to pick a lot better references and a lot better you know pay attention to temperature coefficients and things like that which is funny because you know it's like musical instruments who who cares most of the time but it's it's we're starting to get to that point let's just put it that way so um one of the one of the references i wanted to point out because i did a, a a big study on a bunch of different res references and i found one that's that's for for what I can tell from the data sheet, it's fantastic, and it's not terribly priced uh, in quantity for sure. It's the MCP fifteen oh one. It's a microchip voltage reference that has a zero point one initial zero point one percent initial accuracy. So, like, if you pick a three volt reference, you're going to be between two point what nine nine seven and three point zero zero three at room temperature which is which is pretty damn good you know you can't really can't really beat that um it's got low noise worst case temperature coefficient is 50 ppm across the entire range of negative 40 to plus 125 c uh and and typical is 10 ppm on that and here's the big thing that's really nice for our, at least my circuits is it's capable of syncing and sourcing 20 milliamps by itself so it it acts as its own op amp effectively and it only takes one op amp you know inversion stage and you can get a positive negative voltage reference so just use 0.1% resistors on a uh, good op amp and you can get a plus minus 3 volt reference out of just this package or it'd be a really expensive LDO well you, that only sources <laughs> 20 milliamps <laughs> right yeah just a terrible one but but in terms of actually getting like accurate readings from a ADC or a DAC, like it doesn't matter how many bits you choose if your reference is garbage, right? Yeah. Like you could take a twenty-four bit ADC and plug it into your power rails and it's you've thrown away three quarters of those bits, right? Like it's yep. garbage. Who cares? So you gotta have a good reference and uh for an all around like good specs and 
generally cheap price like this this mcp 1501 is pretty fantastic and really the one that the, the part of it that stands out to me is that it's temperature coefficient or it's temperature performance is really good uh and that's that's the thing that's kind of been killing our our units as they drift over temperature and that's not like that's not necessarily an analog thing it's just like everything shifts a little bit well, electrons just get excited differently yeah they just don't they either want to flow more or they don't want to flow right that's how it works yeah so um at the same time with uh, you know i i like using this guy but i kind of i wanted to have a voltage reference at home and i didn't want to buy a uh or design a board just to have a voltage reference with one of these little chips so i went to amazon and i typed in voltage reference and i found a little board that's available that it this cost me 15 bucks shipped and it has a uh, uh one of those older i don't know maybe this will date me here but one of those older can transistor guys like the big silver can that has eight a circular pattern to the leads yeah 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 you don't really see these that much anymore but it's this is one of those types it's the ad584 which comes in a bunch of different flavors like if you look at the data sheet there's all kinds of stuff but cherry strawberry <laughs> vanilla vanilla <laughs> uh so the version I have has a 0.3% initial accuracy, which isn't obviously as good as that other microchip thing. But for, for home gamer stuff that I'm just like testing ideas out with or with in, in conjunction with my 16 in, 16 out little board, this is actually really fantastic. Uh, it's it's a 0.3% initial accuracy for the J version. There's a K version of this thing that is 0.1%. But if you go to Mauser and look at the K versions, they're like, they're between twenty and sixty dollars for just what? just the reference. But you get ten millivolt accuracy on ten volts, so that's that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty awesome, you know. Um, so yeah, I put up a, an Amazon link on that if you want to check this out. I fired it up. It's funny because I so so this thing with a point three initial accuracy or point three percent. On 10 volts, you would expect 30 millivolts, right? So I I fired this guy up, and I, I put my meter to it, and I read 30 millivolts off on this. So I don't know if this is binned because it's 30 millivolts off, or I don't know if it's my meter because it's a, a Harbor Freight Wonder, you know? Like, so the, uh, it's always Harbor like, ah, uh, which one is more accurate? I don't know. Like, I kind of want this IC to be more accurate, but it could be the Harbor Freight meter. Why don't you use your oscilloscope? Because uh, it wasn't plugged in. Because <laughs> uh, I was lazy. Your scope's going to have be uh, probably better uh, resolution. Yeah, yeah, I just haven't tried meter. it yet. And then uh, I, I like that term though, Harbor Freight Wonder. Oh yeah. HFW. HF. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, honestly, I can't remember how much I paid for that meter. I think it was like thirty bucks. It's great for. Oh, I, I so. Because we're electrical engineers, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, electrical engineers had the best tools, whatever oh, for no. electronics." God. I use the, the worst free. <laughs> I use the free Harbor Freight oh, HW that the little HFW. that little red rectangle. Yeah, but guess what? <laughs> I have tw I have uh, fifteen dollar leads for it. <laughs> you put you put some nice leads on a piece of crap. I use my old old leads I had on one of my meters. Yeah, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just buy some new leads. I'll put these old leads on this box. I, guess what though? It works great. I can just throw it. You can throw it that 
HFW around, and that's fine. You know, I, and and the thing is, like, I have, I have NIST uh, calibrated fluke meters at work. That you know, if I really needed to, I could go in and test something at work. At at home, ninety nine percent of the time, I'm testing stuff that uh, the accuracy doesn't matter. Like, it, I, I'm get ballpark numbers at home, and I'm happy enough most of the time. And yeah, I can use my scope. My scope has a built in DMM, and it's actually pretty accurate. Uh, well, and now I have a voltage reference that I can actually test if it is accurate or not. I can check it and I suppose calibrate it. It would be funny if it's binned. And given that, what's the price difference between them? Because one is $20. What's the other one? Like 10 Okay. I'm going to bet you at that price point, they're probably binned. I, I think so. I, th- I think it's binned so binned means effectively that if it says it's plus minus 30 it probably is close to plus minus 30 yeah yeah well it's somewhere in between plus minus point one. yeah, yeah. it's it's right. in between point one and point three is where it's at it's not going to be better than point one at all because those would be classified as k's right exactly exactly yeah. but i'm i'm thinking worst case scenario it's probably yeah. uh, and actually it might not be binned they might be they pick the center of the die as those are the ones that are gonna be K's because those are gonna be better than the ones on the outside of the die. Perhaps, I don't know. I might I might use wafer. The wafer. Yeah. The die yeah. is after it's cut. Yeah. Right. So they're the outside the the peripheral of the of the wafer is probably going to be the J's because you're farther away from the light source. Yep. Sure. <laughs> So I don't know. Check it out. This is a little a cool little board to have at home if you if you have something like, you know, if you're breadboarding with ADCs and DACs and stuff. I, I've got a pretty cool little thing I'm I'm working out right now where, um, basically what I'm doing is I'm I, I'm doing a, a a mapping of some vacuum tubes where I'm looking at their output. Effectively, basically what I want to do is is just inject a voltage and read read a voltage on the output back and then make a map from the input to the output so instead of trying to calculate like the weird non-linearities of a vacuum tube i just want to measure it and create an input to output map of isn't that what your tube tester is for my tube tester doesn't doesn't take them to distortion levels oh, so okay. i want to take them to full distortion levels and say like I know that if I put X voltage in, I get Y voltage out, such that I can make an array and I can access that array and study the distortion a little bit more. In other words, I know there are three sections to a vacuum tube. There's the linear portion, and then there is the positive voltage portion and the negative voltage portion. The linear portion is like okay, X is equal to some constant times Y. It's mm-hmm. easy, right? The the positive voltage portion is going to be some nonlinear function that maybe I can do a threshold piecewise linear equation and define like what it looks like if it's in the positive, and then the negative is going to be a different one. So mm-hmm. if I do a three piece piecewise equation, maybe I can better define the characteristics of uh, a vacuum tube, and so. My thought was get a voltage reference, plug it into my 16 in, 16 out, and then measure that. Because what I want to do is I want to actually take a signal, plug it into a tube, and then make a circuit that can emulate that and see if I can make them basically exactly the same on an oscilloscope. 
just for fun. Cool. Cool. So when are you going to do the testing on those tubes? And actually, so I want to guess you put, you're going to put your ref your because you're going to use the reference on the ADC DAC so that you have a good reference point for your voltage. Yep. And I'm going to guess those the DAC is going to go through an amplifier into the tube, right? You know, maybe not because this reference actually has it, it, okay, so it has four reference voltages out. It has two uh 2.5 volts, 5 volts, 7.5 and 10. And the tubes that I'm working with their range is usually within five volts on the input. So I think I might just be able to use the five volt on this. And and so that's even better. I didn't know right? how much voltage you had to pump into a tube to go overdrive. You know what's funny? Yeah, so tubes start to distort. Okay, so, so tubes are, uh, the, the, the particular ones that I use are typically from zero to negative four volts or negative five, something like that. That's their their effective input range and it's not actually negative but like the way you configure it you can pretend like it's negative so uh the, you know they don't as it's like pretending electrons go from positive to negative because it makes your brain process it easier well it's more about the fact that the tube is biased at a positive voltage so you are referencing to a positive voltage so you get a negative voltage Okay. It's, okay. It, it's it's a I don't know. Like if you look at the tube data sheet, the numbers are in reference to the cathode, and the cathode is typically positive. So ah uh, okay. So you got to flip it in your mind. So yep yep. Yeah, it's it's goofy. But 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 effectively, you know, if your if your cathode is say at three volts, and you put three volts into a tube, you're at zero volts effectively. Um, so so uh, tubes start to draw a lot of input current. Uh, at when when the grid to cathode voltage is zero, uh, so that they start to draw a think of like a think of like a MOSFET. They 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 respond similar to a MOSFET, but as soon as you get to a certain threshold, they stop acting like a MOSFET and they act like a really power hungry BJT. So okay, th so base current starts to flow pretty heavily at a certain point. Well, if you have any impedance in line with the base of a BJT, well, then you'll get a drop in voltage. Well, if you get a drop in voltage, you get some kind of distortion, right? So it's really linear up to a point where current begins to flow and then it starts to flow in an exponential format that isn't really well defined. And uh, I want to start and to And you want to change that. that. I, want, I want to like figure that out. And this is my initial way of looking at it well i'm i'm excited i want to know how, how that i do too out. yeah that sounds really cool <laughs> so hopefully i'll have some i mean like the best part about this is like i was thinking i could design an entire board to do all of this stuff or i could take my two dev boards in an arduino and just make an excel chart and that's why i love having these little dev boards around and now i've got a little nice voltage reference that has well-defined specifications such that I can do these little tests without having to wait weeks and then have to design a board. And then you got to take the linear rail. So the linear rail plugs in the, the tubes, the same insertion force every single time. <laughs> You're going a little far now. <laughs> 300 millimeter throws for just like controlling something that's like two millimeters long. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Oh, I think okay. it's going to wrap up this episode I, this week. I think so. We are 15 seconds away from one hour. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. 
And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. There, one hour. <laughs>